It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. Today is Frontline Friday with my regular guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you doing? Hi, great, Andy. How are you? Good, good. It's a good day. So this week we're going to talk about, we're going to tap your experience of coming into a new sales team, you know, taking over a sales team, being a new manager, coming into an existing sales team where, you know, you're brought in for a reason, right? So how do you assess the state of that sales team before you make any sort of abrupt changes? How do you assess the state of what's going on? What are the things you look at? And so we're going to go through a bunch of topics talking about that. So what are the sort of the first things you do? So you, you've had the situation on multiple occasions. You were hired by a board or a CEO to come in into an existing sales team. What are sort of the first things you look at in terms of assessing the, the health of that team or the capabilities of that team? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and as you said, you know, I can think of just my last three, the role I'm in currently at Sumologic, as well as the previous two, it was coming into an existing team. So there was a team in place. It was often driven by the board saying we need to bring in a new leader or a different leader or an additional leader. And their expectations are always, what are you going to do now? What can you do fast? What can you do? Help us, help us guide this. And this is not a patient process. So I think that's the other challenge of, of walking into a new role. We don't have the luxury of time as a sales leader. And so in terms of the assessment, as you just in your question, and you do have to be able to assess pretty quickly what's going on and and start to make some changes. So the first thing I do, and I think one of the most important things is you got to listen. Um, you got to meet with the team and you got to listen fast. So you have to be able to go in and know what, it kind of know what you're looking for. And I look for on the sales team, kind of, number one, how's the morale? How's the morale on the team? Are people, are, are they good? Are they bad? Are people motivated? Are we having a hard time? It just what are the challenges that they're having? Because these are your people that are going to go deliver. So, so it's, it's listening and quickly establishing a relationship of trust that you are here. You're, I, I'm here to help. And I'm here, I, if, if my number one job is to make them successful. And, I'm, and as long as they know that sort of we're on the same team here, that, that helps. So, well, let me ask you a question there because, yeah. you know, the old sort of cliche that you hear in these situations is that, hey, they, you know, if you're taking over a new team, the salespeople, they're always going to be a little standoffish. And the cliche is always, you know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care type thing, right? So you can't yeah. really teach them and help them until they've bought into who you are. So you talk about listening fast. I mean, how you might want to explain that a little bit more so people understand that what you're talking about from that perspective. But also, you know, how do you, you know, without being too touchy-feely about it, because, you know, not everybody's personality is maybe lends that way. 
how do you establish that basis of trust with people that are a little apprehensive about the fact you're there in the first place? So I think two things really go into, go into play here. The act of listening in and of itself is so powerful. The act of, of wanting to spend time, I, I, at Sumo Logic, I make sure that I meet with uh, the reps that, you know, they, they may be too below me, so they report into a manager who reports into a director who reports into me, and I will hear repeatedly, gosh, thank you for taking the time to listen to me. At my previous job, I didn't have that. It's very powerful to, to listen. And to make sure that the conversation is really about listening and letting somebody know. It's, it's some of the basic listening skills. Repeating back to let them know, I heard you. That they feel that it's a safe place to do that. I think the second thing is a new person comes in and they're going to be afraid. What does this mean for my job? Am I, are they going to come in and fire everybody? So knowing that everyone is going to be, they're going to feel off kilter. So establishing also very early the standards of performance, to stay here, to be on my team, to be at this company, in this role, this is, this is what my expectation is. As long as you meet these expectations, they're not just revenue expectations, because depending on where a company is and how they're struggling, you want to make sure there's, there are going to be some other things as well, maybe their activity. For every company, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But you want to have clarity that they know these are the things that I need to do. I know where I stand with you. And if they know where they stand with me and the sales team and the company, everybody's going to relax. But until you've established that, it's, 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 going, to, it's going to be tricky. And you don't want to create an environment where you come in and people think that the sword is hanging over the back of their neck. But on the other hand, Sometimes it's pretty clear that there are changes that need to be made. Well, and I would say in every case, I, I mean, I, I've, that's true. There are changes that need to be made. So it's not, it, you're not setting the expectation that everybody's, everybody's okay here and it doesn't matter what the performance has been, you're good. I'm not, we're not running a, this is a horrible, I'm not running a nursery. I'm not running, <laughs> not running a, a, you know, a, a, a sales care center. Right. So when I was, when I had taken over at Yesware, one of the things I told them is there were a lot of issues when I came on and, you know, obviously around performance. And there were a lot of things that were just structurally, they were, they were just the company was not set up right to enable the sales team. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said to them, I, I established these are, and again, this, it takes some time looking at, at, at really metrics. you got to look at metrics and, and to, to establish what the sort of standards of performance were. And then I told everyone, you get the first shot to essentially try it for the team because what, what was expected of you pre-me is different than what I'm expecting. And I'll help you achieve these, but you've got to you, you've you've got to you've got to take that step also. So everybody, you've got first shot to try through the team, and you've got all the home court advantage. You've got all the advantages. Um, and some people stepped up, and some didn't. And so when it was time to make changes, there weren't surprises. It was very clear to look at these are in 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 that particular situation. It was around. Uh, 
things around activity and that were very, very doable. Mm-hmm. So, so that the people that didn't meet them, it was a, it was a clearer conversation, and people were not it, it caught off guard because we 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 already established this is what it's going to take to be to be on this team going forward. And so, how long does that process take for you typically? I mean, I understand it's unique to each situation, but when you're saying, "Hey, I'm going to set this quote unquote tryout period," how long do you get people? Well, it, it again, like you said, it depends on the situation. There, it, sometimes it can be uh, like it yes, where it was. Gosh, it was five weeks. I mean, it was pre, it was pretty quick in the whole scheme of things, but it would it, it it needed to be quick. Yeah, so sort of like one one revenue cycle a month, basically. One revenue cycle. Sometimes it's hard. It, sometimes it is a bit. It, it sometimes it's a bit harder to unravel. And, and so then, then in certain situations, it may take a little bit more time to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Are there other factors at play? Is it a good product market fit? Are we getting the support that we need from sales operations or marketing or product or, you know, whatever it is? Again, you still have to set the base level. This is the this is what I expect from you. And, and I'll tell you, Andy, I say these things, and it's probably good for the audience to know. It's hard to do, and I would say in certain situations, I've it's it's been I've, I've been better at it than others. So I don't always give myself an A in my ability and timeliness of doing this. So I just, as I say it, I look at my own performance and think, gosh, uh, like let's take SumoLogic for example. Um, you know, we're making a lot of it's it's a really high growth company. We're growing fast. It's an, awesome team like a really ambitious motivated team so I feel good about the team that's in place I don't feel like I need to make changes with the people in the seats but unraveling some of the other changes that need to be made in order to enable them you know that's that's I I, I now three months in feel that I understand what they are Mm-hmm. And now getting to the place, some of them are within my sphere of influence. Some I just need to be influential. So it can take some time to unravel. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's let's stick with people for just a second because you're raising an interesting point. And I think for business owners, sales leaders, so on that are listening to this, is that let's say you had a five-week period of time where you're evaluating these people. They have this quote-unquote trial for the team. Is when you get to that end of that five weeks and you really don't have an answer. Don't you really have an answer? That's, I think that's one of the things that people sorely struggle, by, struggle with, excuse me, is that people are sort of on the fence, right? And we're on the fence about this person. You know, it's, we still think maybe they can do it, but you know, they haven't really done it yet, but gosh, it seems like maybe they could, maybe if we just keep you know, trying to optimize the situation for them. How long do you go about that before you just say, hey, there is a reason we're uncertain, and the uncertainty is the answer that, Maybe this person needs to seek a, a change somewhere. I am so in, in my situation when I'm talking about trying to unravel. It's it's not so much about trying to determine is this the right person in the seat. And and I, I think what I look at Andy, like if I'm like when you talk about being on the fence, it's why certain why measuring activity and what people are doing and a conversion ratio from let's say, initial call to, we, we have discovery calls here. We're selling to a technical audience, trying to understand what the technical requirements are, moving into 
a PFC or a trial, I've got to look at what, how are they doing along this, how are they doing along this, the buyer's journey and the, the, the sales cycle? And if I, you, if you are, if you track that, you can see people that are making progress and people who aren't. So the first thing is, is are they doing the things that you're asking them to do just from an activity standpoint and being really clear about what the expectations are? Mm -hmm. So if they're doing that, if they're not doing that, you've got a non-starter. That's super easy. Yes. They're not doing what, they're not doing what I've asked or they've got a bad attitude or it's a work ethic issue. Then second, if they're doing what you're asking, but you're finding they're they're just not able to move between uh, a like the initial interest to a discovery call, a discovery call to a PFC, and we've given them coaching and training and they're not getting it, then you can say this and I've and I've had that situation. This is not a good fit, and despite how hard you're working and acknowledging you're doing the act, you're you're working hard something's not clicking. There's not a sales rep, sales job fit. And that's, and those conversations are also, I think very, um, you can come at it as a sales leader from a position of support and in the best interest of your rep, which is you you're, you're doing the hard work. Go, go, let's find a place for you where you, where you can be successful. Right. Somewhere else. So, yeah, somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a position within the company, maybe there's but sometimes position. there's not. Within the company, right, not to be hard-hearted about it. But, yeah, I think for so many managers, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's never good to have to tell someone that they're not a fit, that, you know, they need to go somewhere else. But on the other hand, you make it worse by letting the situation prolong itself. And, so and the numbers the data, are telling them it's not a fit. Yeah, when you have the data, make the decision, take action. Right. Because you're only you're not helping that person, and you're not helping yourself either, because you've got a slot that's not filled with somebody that could produce. And you're not helping you're not helping the team in general. A players want to work with A players, and again, a team they're going to look. It doesn't feel good when you see that there are people on the team that sort of are allowed to keep playing on the team and aren't aren't either able to keep up or they're not doing the work or it, it changes the dynamic of of the team in a way that makes it hard to be a really high achieving motivating team um so that i think the team dynamics are not it, they don't benefit from having that situation and i i think it's it's the kindest thing you can do for someone because they know it they yes. know it's not working, and it feels horrible when you're working hard and it's not clicking. Yeah, and they're not going to be grateful to you that they get terminated, but at least not that moment. But the fact is, you know, oftentimes later on, they may find a better fit for it, and they'll be happier in their lives and so on. Yeah, and, and I would say, Andy, I, I think back to people that where it hasn't been a good fit who... I'm still in touch with. I mean, they were hard conversations. It it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't pleasant. But I think when you made the comment, what is it? it I know this one. You people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That when they know that it comes from a place of I do want the best for you. I want you to be in the best place you can be, and they end up in a good place. And I I always offer to help 
find find that good place. I look in my LinkedIn, see who I know, and I'm I'm not going to misrepresent mm-hmm. anyone if I really think that they've got a work ethic. That's a different issue. But if it's just not a good fit, I'll be re- I'll be really helpful in helping them find a, a place where they can thrive and succeed. Excellent. Okay, we're gonna take a short break. When we come back from the break, we'll talk more about what are the steps you take when you first come in to take over as an existing sales team as a new sales manager. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Hi, welcome back. Frontline Fridays, my regular guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, we've had a good conversation so far about how you as a new sales manager, not so you, but you know you've had this experience, how people in the audience, if they're a new sales manager coming into an existing sales team, what are the things they need to look for initially to assess the state and the health of that organization? We've talked a little bit about the people. So how then do you evaluate sort of activity levels, pipeline, you know, sales velocity, conversions, you know, other than just looking at the KPIs, which may or may not be a good representation depending on what they are? Well, that's a really, that's a really good question. I mean, that's the first place I go. That's the first place I go is, is what's the team doing? What are the conversion ratios? What percentage of the people are making plan? If you've got 50% making it, 50 not, that tells you one thing. If you've got nobody making plan, that tells you something else. So I think there's a lot to be said just in looking at the baseline and then taking those metrics and putting the people element the people element uh, on top of that. So is there a reason that somebody's at 50%? Again, going back to are they not doing the work? Are they not doing activities? Is it not a good fit for them as a sales rep? But I, in my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Andy, because you've, you've been in the situation as well, is what else, do, what do you look, what would you look at after that or in addition to that? Well, I think one thing is the plan itself, right? So if you come into a situation and everybody's well below plan or below plan, we don't say, won't put a, a quantification on it. First thing I do, I'll go look at the plan because I've come into situations as a consultant, certainly, and, and once or twice even as, as a VP level person where, you know, the, the person who set the plan, the person who established the quotas and so on was out to lunch completely, right? I mean, this was just a bad plan and the goals were never going to be achieved by anybody. And I've had that on a couple of situations where didn't mean I still didn't have people that weren't going to make it, even on an adjusted plan, weren't going to make it. But part of the reason the group was demoralized is, is they knew almost from the beginning they had almost no hope of, of hitting it. And yeah, that's, that's a good, that good, becomes good self-reinforcing point. behavior. Is, you know, you got good people that, that uh, could achieve certain things, but the goals are so unrealistic. So I will look at the plan. That's, that's one of the key things. Yeah, more times than not, the plan is, is reasonable with, with minor tweaks in terms of what the, the quotas and the you know, revenue budget for the year. But you do want to start there. So, Andy, let me ask you a question. Sure. When you find that the plan is, it, it, it's not the right plan, and you're having to go back to, let's say, a board or mm-hmm. an executive team and say, hey, 
the plan doesn't make sense. Tell me about that conversation. Because that's not an easy one. That's not a, that's never a good conversation, especially with the board. Well, I mean, it's different if you're a consultant versus, you know, coming in as a, a new hire, let's say, into the company, right? Because if you're a new hire coming into the company, I'll have that conversation before I get hired. You know, I want to see what the plan is. I want to see what people's performance is relative to the plan, how the quotas are set. And in one case, you know, I had that conversation doing interviews with board members about the fact the plan just wasn't realistic. And the fact is, they know it, right? They're in the meetings. They're getting the monthly package or if they're having monthly board meetings, they're, you know, they're getting the, <laughs> the presentation from the, the management team in the board meeting. They know it. That's part of the reason they're interviewing you, right? They know that something's not right. And sometimes it is the plan. They're not unaccustomed to plans being missed. Yeah, but they certainly, in my experience, they're not unaccustomed, but that is the last thing that they want to hear. So I, I think your just your conversation around it is just right. They're, they know something's amiss. They just don't know exactly what it is. And I, the one CEO that I worked with, uh, a number of years ago, he used to always say, no good news, no bad news, just news. And and I, I even when delivering good news, bad news, I, I just say, I'm just going to tell you my opinion. This is my opinion. These are my observations about what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And you you hired me to look at this. You can accept it or not, but this is what this is what I see. And then just to stand firm. I think the VP of sales role takes nerves of steel. And being decisive, and it's not always easy. It's not the. It's not the. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, especially in the environment you know that you operate in. You know, I said you're in the venture-funded entrepreneurial world where expectations and the pressure are immense, oftentimes. So, but at that point, I think that advice you got from that former CEO mentor is absolutely right. Is that when you have news, you need to surface it, right? You need to be upfront about it because people are looking to you to be the one that's delivering the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And they're looking, you know, in coming into a new team also, a new environment, people need, they're looking for management on one level, but more importantly, they're looking for leadership. And and I think that's, that's one thing. They're looking for leadership, someone that will also advocate on behalf of the team. That doesn't mean protecting the team necessarily, but advocating on behalf of the team when you discover things like, hey, the plan's not right. Because right. it's very hard for individuals to do that on their own. And um, it, it's really the VP of sales's role to go and advocate on behalf when they see things that, that need to be they need to be changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember one company I was at where a lot of the business was coming from outside the United States. It wasn't what they really forecast when they initially started, but just given the the product type, the market actually was bigger outside the U.S. than it was in the U.S., but it was you know more expensive to go out and reach out and touch those customers and go visit them and so on. But when I came in, there was sort of this mode where they couldn't convince the CEO of the company that they actually had to go travel to see some of these customers. Yeah. <laughs> As a result, they weren't getting any of the business from these overseas customers that really wanted to give them orders and it was all going to competition. And what I did is got that turned around really quickly and did it by actually going and making the first trip myself because for some reason CEO had found it really easy to say no to the previous VP of sales because he wasn't really performing in general. 
but I came in with a clean slate and said, hey, because we need to do this, I'll go make that first trip. So, you know, fly back. remember my 14-hour flight to Hong Kong sitting in coach, but, you know, we got orders. And that, that led to pretty astonishing growth for the company uh, compared to they had sort of been stalled, right? They'd been stalled for a couple of years, and that's why I was brought in to sort of break the, the stall. Well, the team really rallied around that. And that was, you know, demonstrating some leadership that they needed to, had needed to see. Yeah, and I think they saw, Andy, and I think that's such, such a great example. You were able to do something that their previous leader was not able to do. You were able to convince the CEO of something for whatever confluence of reasons the previous leader had not been able to do. And that inspires confidence in the team. Like, here's, okay, he can... He's willing to go to bat. He's willing to go get this done for us. I think that's a that's a great example. And I think, you know, thinking about when you first come in to an environment, having one thing that you do early on that says that's some victory for the team, whatever it is, is really important when you're able to do that. What's a small victory that you can? It demonstrate for them that they feel like, okay, good. I feel good about this person being a leader. And you, you give them something they can model, right? So yes. having done that, other people said, well, gosh, there's all these customers I should be calling in this area, right? And now, I, hey, maybe I can go see them now. I'm going to go do that. And they were suddenly thinking about tactics and strategies that they would never have considered before, and they turned out to be pretty productive. Yeah, and it's a good point, Andy, that, that we all learn best by modeling and mimicry. That's how we can, we can hear it, we can read it, we can watch it, but we learn best when we see it and then practice modeling it. So I think that's a, that's a point that shouldn't be missed is you, you modeled it. You yeah. modeled what you were looking for. Well, I've always had the perspective, and I think this is important for people that are sales leaders in almost any environment to keep in mind, is that you need... And this sort of speaks to the shortcoming of a lot of sales training. Sales is an apprenticeship. So think about apprenticeship in the way that we sort of read about it in history classes or maybe in English classes, reading Charles Dickens about, you know, a character being apprenticed to a craftsman. They learn that craft by doing, right, repeatedly, even though they were kids. But <laughs> we're not hiring salespeople as child labor. But, you know, they, they learn the craft through repetition and doing it over a long period of time. And, you know, they weren't sitting in a classroom learning it. And so when you think about your salespeople, how are they going to learn? They're going to learn by seeing somebody do something, then going and repeating it themselves. And so that role modeling and, and being that master craftsman that other people see, really important for sales leaders. You know, it's not just an administrative role. It's, it's a role where you have to show people how the job should be done. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I think that's such a good point, Andy. And I often tell sales people who who I work with that are that are early in their career don't try to don't don't rush through this don't rush through the the process of development because some of like your point of apprenticeship you really only get the experience by living it by doing it by practicing by watching by repetition and you 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 can't you can only fast-track that to a certain extent. So just in some ways they need to be patient in the development in their own uh, professional growth. And I said you'll, you'll learn more 
if you are willing to be in it every day and learning every day and picking up what you can every day than trying to rush through to get to the next promotion or the next company or the next whatever. Just realize it's an apprenticeship. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, you know, look back at my career and there were certainly temptations to, like there are for every salespeople, to go sort of that, pursue that next sort of shiny thing, opportunity. But there were two occasions in my career where I deliberately stayed longer than I might otherwise have because of what I was learning. And then able to then take that to the next position and apply it and be much more qualified and uh, for the next role and get many more opportunities at that level because I had spent that time and invested in learning myself. Well, and, I, and I've said this to, to my team before is there are sales reps who've been selling for five years that have five years of experience. And there are sales reps who've been selling for five years who are first year sales reps year after year after year mm -hmm. because they haven't, they haven't taken the time to learn and grow with each, with, with each job or each uh, year that they're selling. And sometimes when you just hop around, you actually just end up doing the same job over and over and you aren't getting, you aren't experiencing the growth that you could if you did stay with it. And I'm not saying that that means you should stay with something for five years. I'm just saying that, that you don't assume that selling for five years is the same thing as having five years of sales experience. Right. And the growth that we talk about too is not just being promotable, right? Having a moving from a sales rep to a manager, sales manager's job it's the growth within the position to be more capable, to be able to handle a broader range of sales situations, to maybe handle bigger sales, right? More complex sales. You know, that growth can manifest itself in, in many different ways. Just not about being, you know, moved from being a sales manager or a sales rep, excuse me, to a sales manager. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% yeah, yeah. agree. Okay, well, good. Well, appreciate the time today. Next time when we come back, we'll talk about Again, coming into a new team, how you assess customers, because that's really an important part of it. Assess the pipeline, assess the health of the, the business itself, and we'll take it from there. Wonderful. Looking forward to it, Andy. Good. So until next week, this is Andy Paul on Frontline Fridays with my regular guest, Bridget Gleason. And we'll talk to you then. Good selling, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.